it's the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus' brothers want him to go to Jerusalem and show himself and make a name for himself and regain his following that he really lost in chapter 6 on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And first he tells them that he's not going because his time has not yet come, and then he actually does come to the feast. And, of course, once he's there, not only does he create quite a commotion just by the fact that he's there, but <clears throat> he begins to uh, teach in the temple area. And it tells us in verse 14, we're actually going to cover some ground this morning um, for a change. Verse 14 of, of, of John 7. It says, but when the, it was now the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple area. And he began to teach. And the Jews then were astonished, saying, how has this man become learned, not having been educated? So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not my own, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know about the teaching, whether it is of God or I am teaching from myself. The one who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true. And there is no unrighteousness in him. Did Moses not give you the law and yet none of you carries out the law? Why are you seeking to kill me? And the crowd answered and said, you have a demon. Who was seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them. I did one deed, and you all are astonished. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. That is, it goes all the way back to Abraham. And even on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. And if a man receives circumcision on a Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry at me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge by outward appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. That you would minister to us this morning concerning your word and, and that we would receive from you that which you have for us. We pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we may hear your voice. And apply these things into our own hearts, into our own lives, into our own minds. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Jesus goes up to the feast. He goes up to Jerusalem. It's interesting that you get the impression by reading this, verse 14, when now it was the middle of the feast that Jesus went up into the temple area. We really don't know how long he'd been in Jerusalem. He might have been there for the entire, for the entire uh, period of time. It was a seven plus one day period of time for the Feast of, Tab Feast of Tabernacles. 
But he had been secretive up until this time. But then he goes up into the temple area and he begins to teach. And it says the people are astonished. A lot of different views on, on who are all the players in this particular passage. You have the Jews, which are known as the Jewish leaders. And you have the people, most of them were probably from somewhere other than Jerusalem, but they were there for the Feast of Tabernacles. It was one of the three feasts that required that every, every male in Israel come and present themselves to the Lord. And so you have the, these two groups that are there. There's also Jews that actually live there in Jerusalem. And you have a variation of opinions that are going on. A variation of opinions, a few different camps. As we read last week, it said in verse 12, and there was a great deal of talk about Jesus in secret about the crowds or among the crowds. Some were saying he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he misleads the people. So you had a divided opinion in the city about who Jesus is and what Jesus was attempting to do. He goes into the temple and he teaches. And it says that they're astonished. The <clears throat> New King James says they marveled. The Christian Standard Bible says they were amazed. Um, astonished new, new American Standard. And it's this word that, that encapsulates the sense of puzzlement. In other words, they're not quite sure about what it is that they are hearing. But secondly, they are also not quite sure about who it is that is teaching. And wondering about him, knowing that he's from Nazareth. And of course, the question has been asked, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was kind of a backwater little community. He had not gone to any of the prestigious rabbinical schools. So he wasn't known as a scholar, and yet his teaching astounded them. They marveled at it. How has this man become learned, having not been educated? In other words, how did he know what he knows? But of course, he's the Lord of all the earth. So, of course, he knows these things. But he answers them in a way that subjects himself to the will, purpose, and plan of the Father. And so, he tells them that my teaching is not my own, but his who sent me. And again, here now, this isn't the first time that Jesus has done this, but he ties them or attempts to tie the audience back to their relationship to God, the Father. And what he really is saying, that if you are really in relationship with God the Father, you would understand that what I'm saying is true. 
See, how can he teach this way having never gone to seminary is a secondary question. It really is. That's not the real question. The real question is what are you going to do with what he is teaching? What are you going to do with that which he is saying, that which you are hearing? In Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 28 and verse 29, it says, And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings. Now, it's the Sermon on the Mount, right? Early in his ministry. We're getting later in the ministry of Jesus here, uh, in the, even in this early part of the book of John. But after Jesus had given the, the Sermon on the Mount, it says, so it was when, when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. Same word. Okay, they were astonished. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In other words, he didn't defer to somebody else. I'm going to be a little bit mean here. Not real mean, but just a little bit. He didn't read it out of his study Bible. Okay. He didn't defer to someone else. But he taught as one who had true authority. The teaching, and that's where it's really tricky and, this, and, and difficult because the teaching of the word of God has its own authority. But I've heard people teach out of the Bible and it didn't sound very authoritative to me because number one, I didn't agree with their interpretation. So it's always a tricky little thing. It, it, it's not always clear, cut, and dried. Now, if Jesus were here teaching today, I'd be sitting there next to Mary taking notes. It'd be great. And I know that some of you do not always agree with what I have to say. I understand that. But on the other side of that coin, I don't agree with your opinion either. So there you go. We're even. How's that? And so in some of these things, we really have to do the best we can and, and go through a, and hopefully, I hope that you guys really, I hope you guys do some studying besides just listening to me. I try to do a lot of studying and then kind of condense it all into a Sunday morning and or a Wednesday night. And I do read from various sources. Some of them you would approve of. Some of them you probably wouldn't. Our mileage varies. How's that? Got a new saying now. Okay. Because it does. But hopefully the disagreements are on secondary, not essential issues. If we have a disagreement on the essentials of the faith, then we really have a problem. We're saved by grace. The Bible is the inspired word of God. Just a, f a few things that, 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 uh, that they become hills to die on. The Trinity is a hill to die on for me. And other things like how we interpret the end times, they're not hills to die on. I know, I know for some people they are hills to die on for that, on, on that particular aspect of theology. Well, they know something I don't. How's that? I'll just leave it at that.
But Jesus and him alone, and, and that's why I'm convinced there's going to be a seminary in heaven. We're all going to get to enroll. And I will get over the uh, embarrassment and humility of realizing there were a few things I taught you that were wrong. And I will also get over the fact that you told me a few things in the parking lot that were wrong. How's that? But notice what Jesus is saying here, and I'm kind of going to go in a different direction than even my notes were saying, because I, I think this is important. Um, that's for somebody. Jesus said to them, my teaching is not my own, but his who sent me. It's referring to the Father, of course. The Father has that great apostolic mission of sending the Son into the world that the world might be saved. And then he goes on to say, if anyone is willing to do his will, whose will? The Father's will. He will know about the teaching, whether it is from God or am I speaking from myself. Now, I really wish that the Holy Spirit had inspired John to write some of these sermons that Jesus had given here at Tabernacles because we'd have a, a deeper reference. We'd have a more complete reference. But, but I'm, I'm comfortable because I'm convinced that everything that Jesus says is, in fact, true. I don't have to call into question. I may not like everything he says, and some of it I don't understand well. And some of it I know you don't understand well. But I know that everything he says is true. I've talked about this probably three weeks ago or so, just this idea. Whoever that is, could you silence it, please? Um, but whoever, um, usually I, I can just preach right through it. But anyway, um, I'll ask my attorney thought. Let me see if I can go find it. Jesus tells us here that if anyone does the will of the Father, now, I would say that everyone in this room wants to do the will of the Father. I think, I think that's pretty, pretty easy. So the big question is, how often do we do the will of the Father? Now, nobody's perfect, all right? So don't, I'm not, don't feel like I'm condemning you. We're not going to take a, take a poll here and, and try to, you know, establish a, a hierarchy. Because I don't think there's really a hierarchy in the kingdom of God, to be honest with you. But being willing to do the will of God and doing it sometimes can be two different things. James tells us to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, less what? You deceive yourself. We have to be willing and then step out and do the will of God. Because sometimes doing the will of God is not easy, is it? Let's be honest. Sometimes we'd rather do it our way. Somebody cue up Frank Sinatra, huh? I think he was always our way. Yeah, it was Sinatra anyway. We'd rather do it our way. 
I'll do it your way next time. Ever thought that? Of course you have. Maybe you just didn't think it out loud. Maybe you ought to think out loud because it might arrest your thinking going, wait a minute, where am I going here? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Why do we do the will of God? Well, because it's his desire. And it is within the context of the fulfilling of our calling as Christians doing his will also pleases him and then fourthly I think doing his will puts us in a place establishes us in our relationship in a greater way follow my thinking here where we are able to hear the voice of God clearer than before. I think that's part of what Jesus is saying here. If anyone is willing uh, to do his will, the will of the Father, he will know about the teaching whether it is of God or I'm speaking from myself. In other words, while we are in a place where our hearts and our minds and our souls and our strength is submitted to God's will, then he is able to come alongside of us and to further affirm to us whether something is true, therefore, of God or not. Is that making sense to you? Am I piecing this together for you? Because remember, within this context, they didn't have the New Testament. When Jesus is there teaching, they had the Old Testament. And they had some other books that were not necessarily considered part of canon. That is, considered necessarily inspired by God, but nonetheless, they were important books to read but they were secondary to Scripture. You had different discussions that eventually got written down, the Talmud being one, Mishnah being another. There was a lot of religious talk in that day. Probably. Probably more so than today. Because they were a culture that was based on a relationship with the God of the universe. So they had the whole church thing wired out, figured out. They knew Torah. They lived by Torah. It was all about what you did and what you did not do. Here's a time where you have the coming of the new covenant that is about to be established that Jeremiah spoke about where he says, I will put a new heart. I will give you a new heart. I will place in you a new heart. And he's telling these people, 
If you are doing God's will, it would be clear to you because these things are spiritually discerned. And what, what, what I believe is going on when someone is a believer but not doing the will of God is that their, 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 their connection, their communication, their, their channel kind of gets cut off between them and God for various reasons. One is because God is trying to straighten you out and he's trying to get your attention through a different form of communication because sometimes no answer is the strongest communication that you can get from God. And sometimes I wonder when we pray about something, we get absolutely no answer. Perhaps that is an invitation and a leading and a calling for us to go back and do the first things. I don't know how to go forward, so I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Is that which Jesus instructed the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 when he told them to return to their first love? Just go back and do the first things. I don't know how to go forward. Well, I'll keep going and go back and do the first things. And, and, and so, in other words, the, the Christian life is never intended for us just to sit still. but to be in a way that we live that is about our Father's business. And when we live in such a way, we come into a place where we're able to hear him clearer. Because what, I, what I've found, I think, it, the, the, sum it all up in this statement. When we do the will of God, whatever that is, the reality is when we are doing the will of God, that is the place where you can be closest to him. That makes sense? And when you are close to him, it is a whole lot easier to hear the still small voice, which is often, at least in my life, that leading indicator of what it is that we're supposed, I'm supposed to do, where we are supposed to go, how we are to live, how we are to respond. Because, remember, they had no New Testament. But isn't it true that there are many things in our life that if we're going to find a chapter and verse to guide us, it probably isn't there. I found that to be the case. I did look. I didn't look hard. Okay. But I did look, and I never found a verse that thou shalt go to Sisters, Oregon in 2003. Never. It, was, it wasn't there. And we were really, we're looking to go somewhere else. But none of us talk about this. But how God kind of rerouted because we were willing to do his will. Because we were willing to do his will, 
thinking, okay, I want to do as well, and I want to stay in the Sierra Nevadas because I like it here, um, kind of. Except for when it snows five feet in the weekend. It's like, I hated it. Anyway. And look, and, and this was number last, by the way, of all the places we looked at. And we got here, and we got here thinking that, okay, we're just going to spend the night and leave and go back to the drawing board, which I have no idea what to do. Go back to the first things. We got here, and we both knew that this was where we were supposed to move. Walking in his will. Will we do it perfectly? No. Do you, when you, you think about this, do you, ever, do you ever realize how gracious God is? How gracious God is to you? And I don't even know what spiritual adulthood even looks like anymore. I used to hear that phrase from time to time. Oh, yeah, well, one of these days you'll become a spiritual adult. When? To me, it's always like two steps forward and a step back. But God is that incredibly gracious to us. Desiring for us to walk in his will because that place of walking in his will, whatever that means for you in your life, is the place that you can be the most close to him. And the place where you can be the most close to him, I hope you get that one if you heard nothing else this morning. That place where you can be the most close to him is that place where you can hear the still small voice. And that is the sweet spot, if you will, that God is desiring for you to live in. To live in. Not just to kind of linger every so often. I think I'll go visit God today. (laughs) But to live in. Because it is a recognition of the reality that in him, here we're going to do it again, right? Acts 17. In him we live and we move and we have our being. The one who speaks from himself, verse 18, seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. In other words, the one who speaks from himself, who seeks their own glory, has unrighteousness in them. Do I go here? I'll abridge it. How's that? I... I've listened to, and I don't listen to a lot of pastors because I, I just would rather read a book. How's that? Um, but I wonder about some guys, and I listen to them, and it's, it's strange sometimes because you, you, you can sense when that when there's a, a shift in their speaking where all of a sudden it almost sounds like they're seeking their own glory. I try to be aware of that, especially this morning, but I try to be aware of that when I'm speaking. I don't want to uh, pursue my own glory. Now, sometimes I probably do. Um, 
No wonder James said that a one who teaches will incur a stricter judgment. I'm looking forward to that. But nonetheless. The person who seeks his own glory is one who walks in unrighteousness. And they can make it sound very spiritual. They can make it sound very godly. And you and I might disagree on how we interpret that or how we, we view other, other people's ministries. And I don't, like to, I, don't like to, I don't like to go after other people's ministries anymore. At one time, there was a bunch of people in here that they, they just thrived on it. And I kind of got caught up in that. I don't think it was healthy for me. I know it wasn't healthy for them. Romans tells us, I'm going to turn to it. I think it's Romans 12. It's not in my notes. Probably not Romans 12. It tells us, and I still can't find it, but it does ask the question, who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master, he will either stand or fall, for God is able to make him stand, it tells us. Still looking for it, but anyway. Um, is, is one of those things that... that I, I've had to work through. I've had to, to really learn. But I do hear things that I don't, I, don't, I don't resonate with, I don't agree with. And I wonder about. So I can either make it my life mission to uncover that in another person or persons, which I don't think is very fruitful, or I can go back and do the first things. I can go back and pursue the will of the Father. And when I am willing to do the will of the Father and walk in his will, then I'm in the place where I am closest to him. And I can hear him. Because he doesn't speak very loudly, I don't believe. Now, there are times he does. Yes, he does. But most of the time, it is a still small voice that you have to sit and listen for. And if you are crowding your mind, your heart, with everything and anything but God, that's what you're going to hear. And then he goes on. Because, again, he's talking to a very mixed crowd. Some of them are, like, astonished because they think what he's teaching is great. Some of them are astonished because they can't believe this is what came out of the mouth of this carpenter up in the Nazareth, Nazareth uh, land of, uh, city of Nazareth. Okay. And he goes back 
I believe, is hearkening back to John 5 when he healed the man who was lame on the Sabbath. And he brings out the law. Did Moses not give you the law and yet none of you carries out the law? Why are you seeking to kill me? What does the law say about murder? Thou shall not kill, right? Book of Exodus. And, and the crowd answers and says, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? See, they may not have understood. Now, we, the, because we've already been told a few times in the Gospel of John that Jesus stayed out of the region of Judea because he knew that the Jews were attempting to kill him already. Some of these people were not, may not have ever uh, even been aware of it. But what do they do? They, 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 they hear something that doesn't work for them, doesn't resonate for them, doesn't flow into their thinking, and so they all of a sudden completely shift. Now this is not a man of God. This is a man who has a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? You have a demon. That's blasphemy. And, and, excuse me, and when you, I think when you take such a position towards someone, you have to be careful that that does not boomerang back on you and come back on you. Because they were now becoming like the judgmental Pharisees. And Jesus said to him, I did one deed and you are astonished. He's, really, I believe he's talking about when he healed the man in John 5. Pull of Bethesda. On the Sabbath of all things, right? He says, for this reason Moses has given you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from your fathers. But, uh, and even on the Sabbath you circumcise a man. And if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry at me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Okay, what he's getting at here is they were, they were saying that he broke the Sabbath. Now, if he broke the Sabbath, what does that mean? He's a sinner. They were saying that he broke the Sabbath because he healed this man on the Sabbath day. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, right? But if you are not supposed to work on the Sabbath, however, Torah tells you that on the eighth day of your life, a male would be circumcised on the eighth day, and it doesn't matter if it's on the Sabbath or not, it has to happen on the eighth day. Well, what law do you, what law do you use? Well, if you're tired or lazy or had a rough night the night before, do you say, well, it's the Sabbath, I can't do it? Or do you say, the law requires that this take place on the eighth day of a male's life, so we're going to do this even though it's on the Sabbath? So what do you do with those circumstances? Do we have those in our own life in the New Testament era? I think at times we do. I think they're a, they're a little bit less um, obvious. The one I'm thinking of, do we go to church on Sunday or do we take a Sunday at some time and help somebody else? I don't know. You work that through. 
How are we to do the will of the Father? That's what he's really touching on. Because yes, they were supposed to keep the Sabbath, but yes, they were also supposed to do the circumcision on the eighth day. Which they did. So in other words, the law of circumcision held a greater place than the law of keeping the Sabbath. At least that's what it sure seems like. And what do you do? Well, you follow the law that says you will circum a male circumcise a male child on the eighth day. Which Jesus busted them in other places because they would, they would pick out the laws that they wanted to follow at the expense of not doing something else. For instance, when he talked about how you wouldn't help your mother and father because you had the money available, but you said, well, that's Corbin. That's been set aside. I can't use that money. If your parents need it. But, well, no, but I've set it aside for God, so we can't touch it. And really, it's the situation here is how do I properly handle the will of God in my life? Because he made this man whole, and therefore, they considered him a lawbreaker, yet at the same time, they would violate the Sabbath to circumcise an eight-day-old child. Does that make any sense? That doesn't make any sense to me. You are angry at me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath. You know, it's, it's so interesting as you read through the four Gospels how often it was that Jesus did these type of things on the Sabbath. I've shared this with you before, but one commentator said it was like he laid around in a hammock all week long in the Galilee doing absolutely nothing, and then Friday, Friday midday he got up from the hammock and he went out and did things, and then when the Sabbath came he was doing things on the Sabbath just to provoke the religious people. And he did not provoke them for the sake of provoking them. That's important to understand, especially some of you who would like to provoke. Never mind. Um, he was trying to show them what it really meant to walk in the will of God. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Sacrifice. 